Hey, thanks for listening. This is another special edition on the Christ Alone podcast. Had a lot of these lately, but um, we're recording content from a Bible study we did six weeks. Um, a study of the meta narrative, which is this the story of redemptive history as told in the scriptures. So, four main movements in redemptive history creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And this is the final week of the study. This is week six, studying consummation. Um, so, we're going to talk a little bit about eschatology, the study of the end times, but. I don't want to ruin all the content, so I won't say much more than that coming up in the Bible study. So if you ran across this podcast by accident because you're a regular subscriber to the Christ Alone podcast um, and would like to hear the other content, please get a hold of me. Uh, The best way to do that probably is just through Facebook at facebook.com backslash Dolichek, D-O-L-E-C-H-E-C-K. You can message me on there, and we can talk more about uh, this Bible study series, the gospel, or any other questions you might have. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the content, and um, hope to talk to you soon. So, thanks for listening, and here we go with the Bible study. So, we are in the last week here, right? All right, everybody's on the same page, okay. Of the meta-narrative, we've done uh, all three acts of creation, fall, redemption, and so tonight then is consummation, or you could say uh, new creation, or you could say uh, final restoration. You could, lots of people call it lots of different things. I just was always, I always was taught consummation, and so it's just what stuck in my head is creation, fall, Redemption and consummation, but consummation meaning the final culmination, the final coming together of this is where we've gone in the story. Right? We've had creation. We've had God is the uh, creator who is personal and sovereign and over everything. Mankind plunges us into the fall and uh, we are at enmity with God. All man is born in dead in sin and in trespasses at enmity with God. And then we have redemption, all the Old Testament pointing forward to Jesus coming, Jesus showing up, fulfilling all the law's demands, taking our punishment upon himself. And then last week was redemption moving forward, the church age of now that Jesus has finished the work, the church is called by the gospel, captured by the gospel, the church is um, comforted by the gospel, and the church is then compelled by the gospel. So... Having gone through all of that, we are now, that's old business, we're now talking consummation. So, you see there in my first, um, underneath old business, I have a big fancy word there. Does anyone want to guess what that says? <laughs> Who wants to venture how you say that? I didn't get phonics. Huh? <laughs> I didn't get phonics. Eschatology. So the eschaton means last days and ology is study of. We have theology. We have, what's that? That was your next guess. So it's a, it's a word you don't need to know. But um, if you ever run across uh, end time kind of fruitcakes or crackpots, they like to talk a lot about eschatology, which is the study of the last days or the study of the end times. Anybody seen any cool, fun, interesting end times? Talk lately? Oh, with the moon. Yeah, okay. 
the four blood moons, that that was some big deal supposed to be, and it was not that uh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 Oh, the Jewish calendar. Oh, the yeah. Mayan calendar. That was in 2012. There was a big hubbub about uh, the John Cusack movie, which I never saw, though I like John Cusack. I had, I said I had my, uh, our uh, Jehovah Witness friend stop by the shop and said, started in 1914. Yeah. It's, it already started. It's already yeah. started. It started in Jesus the, came oh. back in 1914. Yeah. Wherever it started in Jehovah's Witnesses got some kind of funky doctrines, real crazy doctrines. Oh, uh, Jesus, when that's coming out of, yeah, that, that's kind of a Millerite, I think, is kind of where they come out of, but they prophesied Jesus would return, and then he didn't, and so the way they got around that is they say Jesus came back spiritually. Yeah, so, yeah, now we're, yeah, I don't know where we are. So, but you get lots of, actually, uh, you remember the Herald Camping Crew, uh, that was last year, May, or maybe it was 2012, May 21st or something, the world was supposed to end. And they bought billboards. It was like the biggest publicized end of the world. They bought billboards, had commercials, millions of dollars because this guy was convinced that this is when it was going to end. Well, some of his followers said that he wasn't wrong. He was actually right. And that Judgment Day began then. And actually, Judgment Day, according to them, ends today. So, according to them, this is the last you day. You know, I had a guy that had to have a colonoscopy today. He scheduled it two months ago for today. Yeah. And we weren't scheduling any other cases. He's like, no, I have to have it on biblically October 7th. <laughs> Why would you bother? It's like, if it's the last day, we're like, schedule for the 8th. That way I get a miss out on it if I don't need it. I wake up in the morning. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you don't want to be right. <laughs> well Darla said when I told her about the, the camp that was produced that was predicting October 7th she said she'd be very upset if she's been the last nine months of her existence on earth suffering through she made it this far and then it's so there's lots of <laughs> exactly. Everyone is. Yeah, that was yeah, that was no no big deal. So everyone's got ideas on this, and and so my second thing is closed-handed, open-handed doctrines. I'm not going to go into tonight all of the different views of eschatology that there are. I mean, depending on what uh, tradition you grew up in, what denomination you grew up in, um, there's tons of different, even biblical theories. Some of them are crazy. And should just be thrown out. Some of them fit within a, a, a possible biblical interpretation. But we're not going to go through all of those tonight. Because I could really bore you and, and numb your brain with all sorts of uh, details that don't really matter. So there's, And this, this distinction comes with lots of doctrines. So there's closed-handed issues and there's open-handed issues. There's things that we hold in a closed hand when it comes to things like eschatology that we say... No, this is going to happen. This is, this is how it is. And to not have one of these doctrines is to not believe the Christian faith. And then there's other things you can kind of have in an open hand. Where if, if you've got, uh, uh, if you're premillennialist and someone else is an amillennialist, you don't know what that means. But then it's kind of an open-handed issue. You can pick whatever you want. If you're a dispensationalist, 
If you're not, if you're a covenantal person, those are kind of open. I'm not going to talk much about, but they're kind of open-handed things. But there are a few things what I want to bother with tonight in our short time is close-handed issues. That these are things that are everyone agrees upon from the biblical text. This is what's coming. This is there's many interpretations about what's how these events are going to go down. Did anyone read the Left Behind series back in the day? So that's Melissa and me and no one else. Don't it's that's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Grandma Scarta uh, got me the Left Behind book. It was Melissa's grandma as well, and so and I read it and read through the whole series. But it's it's actually um, it's a fiction created around one viewpoint of eschatology called dispensationalism. Um, that's not the Lutheran position at all on um, on how the end times go, and I don't even know what the disciples of Christ position is at all, and I'm not going to venture to guess, so I'll leave it alone. But anyway, so what we're going to talk about tonight are closed-handed versus open-handed, and that is a good distinction um, as I have the past uh, few months looked at different denominations. I'll just say this as vaguely as I can, that there are, there are closed-handed things that you want to say, no, these are issues we have to grab a hold of, and so that's what we're going to talk about when it comes to eschatology tonight. So first passage we're going to go to is just Titus. The book of Titus is a little epistle in the back of your Bible. Uh, Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. So if you can go 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. So Titus is just three chapters in there uh, before the book of Hebrews. Um, page 1301 in my Bible. <laughs> so this is Titus chapter 2. And just kind of giving us the attitude about, about this reality. So this is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. What's coming for us here? So when we read 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all men, training us to renounce irreligion and worldly passions and to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this world, awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing, appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ whom gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. So, according to Paul here, writing to Titus, he is saying, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for our blessed hope, which is what? And verse 13 there. Jesus Christ. The appearing the of... Appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Great, great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So... Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, for millennia, has awaited the return of Jesus Christ. That this is a closed-handed doctrine when it comes to Christianity, that we believe that one day Jesus is going to return. If we went to Acts chapter 1, we were just there last week a little bit, but we have the transfigure, we have the ascension of Jesus into heaven, and verse 11 of chapter 1, the angel comes down, the two angels there, and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, a close-handed issue we have when it comes to eschatology, future things, what's going to happen, what's next, is the, is the reality that Jesus is personally going to return again that it isn't going to be a spiritual uh showing up of him it isn't going to be um 
the church somehow uh, ushering in this age of prosper Jesus is coming. Some have a theology that that a spirit of Jesus essentially is going to come that is bringing peace and life and joy and prosperity on earth. But Christianity has always believed that a personal, real Jesus is going to return. The last prayer of the Bible, book of Revelation, chapter 22, John the Revelator ends his book with a good prayer. And it's a prayer that we should, at times, be encouraged to pray. In verse 20 of 22, John says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And John prays, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That the Bible ends with this prayer, this desire, this yearning for the return of Jesus. Christ is going to personally return. We should live like it and we should long for this return. So while we're here, we're in the the most interesting, controversial book. Well, not the most, but one of the most in your Bible, the book of Revelation. So this is John gets exiled to the island of Patmos and has this vision and um, lots of things go on, seven seals, seven bowls, seven angels, winds, the Antichrist, the false prophet, just a ton of things going on. And then the millennium, and the millennium is a thousand year reign of Christ. And the joke among nerdy church people is that millennium is a thousand years of peace that Christians like to fight about. Now when that's going to happen, it's a thousand years of peace that we all like to fight and argue over. But so that's all kind of coming out here in these last few chapters in the book of Revelation. The tribulation period is all in here. And again, those are all things that are kind of open-handed the way that you treat those things. If you guys had questions or things you thought and wanted to know, I would be happy to have some back and forth on that. But the, the main thrust that the Christian is to be living with is this reality that Jesus is coming back. That, the, that a real personal Jesus is returning. And he's going to, we'll get to what he's going to do uh, in just a little bit. So, thoughts on Jesus personally returning. I mean, it, sometimes we get so caught up in this life and what we're doing here that you kind of, in the same way last week I was trying to... Um, push on Jesus was a real person who really lived 2,000 years ago. It's important to push on this reality of not only was he real, Jesus is still real and he really is going to return. Something's going to happen upon his return, which we're going to get to, but Jesus is going to return. Close-handed doctrine about uh, the eschatology, the last times, what's coming. And we'll get into more of that. Any give and take on that so far? So there's no way that he's never, that you don't ever, nobody ever thinks that he's already came a thousand years ago and would just be after that. <laughs> well, and there, <laughs> there, there, and the other question is, there's no way that anybody can ever interpret, interpret this as being that, behold, I am coming soon. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I'm coming soon to you when you get to heaven. I mean, that's no, there's no way, shape, or 
really any. Well, I, I suppose you could find something probably by somebody out there, yeah, of a of a certain interpretation. But but um, as far as the coming again, when we get into chapters 20, 21, and twenty two of the book of Revelation, we get into some of the issues of First Corinthians and stuff like that. That the Bible is clear that there is a literal return of Christ to set up this final kingdom. Um, let's go to Isaiah 66. Okay, so this, is, this was the hope of the, of the Old Testament um, believers. They, it's why, partially why they were so confused when Jesus shows up. Um, Isaiah's got 66 book chapters in it. That's easy to remember, or it's not easy to remember, but Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah 1 through 39, there's 39 Old Testament books, and then 26 or 27 New Testament books. And right at the break of Isaiah 40 is the entrance of the Comforter, the beginning of the New Testament, anyway, the beginning of the New Testament. So 66, I'll skip all that. Um, 66 verse 15 this is kind of this prophecy of what they're looking for, what's going to happen. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire with the Lord will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord will be many. Uh, those who sanctify and purify themselves go into the gardens following one of the midst, eating pig's flesh, the abomination and mice to kind of end together declares the Lord. Um, let me see. Let's go on down to 21. Uh, and some of them I will also take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Um, let's see. Oh, okay, there we go. May go, let's go back to 65, verse 17. Is, is, this, is, this is the Messiah that they, in one hand, are looking for. There's this, what Christianity um, came to see Jesus as. It's like when you're looking at a mountain range, right? And you see the first mountain, and you see the second mountain, and you look and you say, I'm going to go climb that mountain. And and you, what you mean by that is you're you're seeing both these mountains at the same time, and you're kind of you think both those peaks are right there together. You're looking from a distance. When I get to that one, they're basically the same mountain. Well, then you climb the first peak, and then you realize what that the second peak is actually a long ways down into the valley and a long ways back up. And that's kind of typically um, the the way that the the Jewish people were looking for Jesus. They saw this first incarnation, which is this Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Jesus is going to come and he's going to die. He's going to be led like a lamb before the slaughter. He's going to suffer for the iniquities of his people. And then they're also looking for this one who's going to come and bring in the new heavens and the new earth. Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall be remembered or come to mind. This is verse 17 of chapter 65. Um, and this is the coming of the of the next um, of of Christ. And if you read through all of this stuff here, which yeah, anyway, there those last two couple chapters of the book of Isaiah are are kind of the some of the eschatological eschatological um, ch verse chapters on.
the return of Christ. Um, but yes, New Testament, and I didn't bring, there's a ton of references we could look at, of their longing for a literal return of Christ and that he is going to come. So the second point of my outline, though, is kind of, I think, an important question because what if we don't make it until Jesus comes back? Which is kind of a, because we all know lots of people who didn't make it. So if that's the end, what about our end, okay? So we've got a couple of scriptures there, Philippians 1, 23, and then 2 Corinthians 5, 8. And both of those passages are basically just lifting up and highlighting the idea that for those who are in Christ, when they die, if Jesus has not returned, they go and immediately are with Christ. Um, there's, not, there's not this soul sleep sometimes that goes on. There's not uh, any sort of reincarnation. Uh, we don't believe in purgatory, which is a Catholic doctrine, which is found in uh, Maccabees, which is uh, Apocrypha. Um, but anyway, um, where we go, Philippians 1, this is the passage where Paul is talking about, I desire to depart, and then he means die. He says, I desire to depart, and then when he departs, what's he going to be? I desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And so this is where most Christian minds go to. And we have this as the end of the Christian life, is that you die and you go to heaven, right? That's pretty sound theology, because you guys have always heard, right? You die, you go to heaven. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 is, is Paul talking about um, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That there's this intermediate ushering into heaven, into the presence of Jesus. And that's typically where a lot of kind of nominal Christianity ends. Is that your, your final hope is to get to heaven when you die. And that's true. <laughs> that that is a Christian doctrine. Is that if we if Jesus does not return before we all die, if you have repented of your sins, confessed your sins, trusted in Christ as your Savior. As your mediator, you, upon your death, go into heaven. It is not the final hope of the Christian. That, that, is, that is a hope of the Christian. But like we saw from Titus chapter 2, the hope that they had was not just to be with Christ, but was actually for the return of Christ to do something totally new and something different. Thoughts on that? <laughs> It's right and good to want to go to heaven when you die. And it is a good admonition. The eschatology, the, the final picture of the scripture. And, and, and so I'm trying to just press on both of these things a little bit. Because, okay, I'll be honest with you. I, I grew up in my Methodist church. And the idea of going to heaven as the final analysis. I mean, it's a good thing. And it's a good thing to desire that. But to me, that was the end, is that what we were all hoping for is to make it to the die, believing in Jesus, whatever that meant at that time. I didn't have very good theology then, but that was my hope. And that's where it kind of was going to terminate on, is, is getting to heaven. Good Christian doctrine. Uh, we read last week, um, The Rich Man and Lazarus, I think it was last week, um, where the rich man 
and Lazarus is at his gate begging every day, and Lazarus dies, the rich man dies, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, the rich man goes to Hades, goes to hell, and he's in torment down there. They are immediately in the presence, he was in Abraham's bosom is what they called it, but immediately he was there in the presence where um, it's with Abraham, but the idea is communicated there of with the righteous in, in an eternal state. So, but I have on there intermediate state, right? You guys see that at the end of point two? Mm -hmm. This is an intermediate state. And that's what theologically it's called is the intermediate state. There's an intermediate heaven. So all those who have died in Christ uh, up to this point after are in heaven. They are in some sort of an existence uh, with a real Jesus, but they are at this point, their bodies are still here rotting in the graves or totally gone, whatever, and their spirits are somewhere else. And at some point, we, I mean, we could look at Thessalonians to get this kind of what happens, but Christ returns. Those who are living or are alive and believers in Christ are caught up with them. Let's just read it. Okay, Thessalonians. I'm going to start sounding like I'm making stuff up. <laughs> don't don't do it don't believe me no that's not what i want i want you to say darren i don't believe you prove it to me thank you can we read the text please i will always want you to tell me that stop blathering let's read it so this is first thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18 i'm tired of talking so i'm gonna read 13 through 18 <laughs> Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So is there there's some in there, just like kind of what you were asking about, Melissa. I mean, there's another place of, of this language of the coming of the Lord, that Jesus is returning. But here is this idea of those who are dead in Christ will rise first and meet Jesus in the air, whatever that means. I think when we looked at the Greek there, there's different levels and different Greek words for heavens. And that's probably one of the words of it's actually talking about a closer atmosphere, but don't quote me on that. But but then those who are alive in Christ will gather with Jesus, will be caught up, and there we'll be forever with the Lord. So there's this real coming. There is those who are dead in Christ, those who so will be on the earth alive in Christ that will gather together with Jesus. And this is not painting a full picture. This is where you maybe heard the doctrine of the rapture. Have you ever heard of the rapture? The rapture? Rapture, this is, if you're a dispensationalist, you, this is where you would go to in talking about the rapture, a catching away of people. And, um, but again, that's an open-handed, whether that's 
anyway. But there is a, a literal personal coming of Jesus where we'll be caught up with him. What's going to happen then? So let's go on to point three just to move along. So what, what do you mean yeah. by alive in Christ and dead in Christ? What do you mean by that? Just in faith in Christ. So those who are dead in Christ means that they were in Christ when they died. So they died believing in Christ. And then those who are alive in Christ would just be Christians. So it's if you are if if you're a believer in Christ, there's all sorts of language we could look at of, of in Christness. That when you put faith in Christ, you're rescued. You are made one. You become a part of the body. You're adopted. You become a son of God. All this in Christ language, and so that's what Paul is talking about: is that those who are in Christ um, um, are those believers who have died or those who are believers and are alive. Now, there's also great stuff there in chapter 5. Um, more good stuff there. But uh, anyway, there's a lot of this type. There's a lot of people that will tell you that the, all of the New Testament is is eschatological. It is, it's coming from this viewpoint of the end times, that this is all written looking towards this coming day of the Lord, this coming day, this return of Christ. So, but one important piece of the second coming. So this is point number three in my little outline there. With the second coming comes judgment. So back in Revelation chapter 20. So is it going to be yeah. like totally apparent? That's going to be a stupid question. When he comes back. It's going to be totally apparent or it's just going to be like a deserted Pluto. Not even, you know what I mean? <laughs> Let Pluto go. No, Earth will not be a deserted Pluto. That's great about it. But, Sorry, uh, did I get ahead? No, well, kind of. That's all right. No, it's a good okay. question. But I do think, again, this is where this gets into the open-handed issues. There will some, There are some, a dispensationalist believes in, believes in a, a, a secret rapture or, you know, a, a rapture, a catching away of believers um, that isn't that isn't everybody. Then the unbelievers are left here on earth to suffer through a tribulation, and so they don't see that first coming of Jesus, the the first second coming of Jesus. I don't know how you call it, but and then and then there's a second second coming. I, it's I don't know. I uh, any but yeah. So but when we get into this language here, there is this no missing Jesus when he shows up. That essentially reality is going to be peeled back upon it, rolled up like a scroll. That that time itself, everything is going to be rolled back. So yeah, we're not going to we're not going to miss it. But now, does Earth end up like a deserted Pluto? Well, we're getting there. Okay. So uh, so this is Acts, Acts chapter twenty, verse eleven. So here's this language that I'm talking about. Acts or Acts Revelation. Don't go to Acts. Revelation chapter twenty. Verses 11 through uh, 15. Final judgment. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, and it was recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead. All, and all were judged according to their deeds. And the death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. 
Therefore, encourage one another with these words. <laughs> That's not what Paul says at the end of this. So, <laughs> just got, it just got real in here, didn't it? So, there's, there's earth and sky fled away. But what we see in this second coming of Jesus is judgment is coming. Um, there's just no way around this language. And in my other notes, I have, you can almost tell what kind of a Christian you're dealing with when you ask them this simple question, what do you think of hell? Because it is one of the most uncomfortable doctrines that we have in the Bible. Um, and so because of that, a lot of people will say, well, they don't really know, and they'll, they'll, hip, they'll skip all the way around it and make all sorts of whatever. But at, at the end of the day, I mean, I have a few passages in your outline that the, the evidence is overwhelming, huh? How'd you say uh, the evidence is overwhelming for what happens here for unbelievers, for those who are left in their sins. And the reality is uh, eternal personal torment is hell. That judgment is coming. And, and so there's a passage in uh, Colossians that talks, it lists out all these sins. And it says, and because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And so not only are we to be longing for the return of Christ, but when he comes, what is coming along with that is judgment, is the time when all wrongdoing is finally called to account for itself. So we kind of asked the question uh, way back at the beginning, ages ago, six weeks ago, about evil and, and, and how does this all work out? Well, part of the answer of that is here at consummation, is that every wrong deed that has been suffered has been committed to one of the to a believer every evil that has gone on will finally and fully bear its punishment at the return of christ judgment comes um did you guys jennifer uh Kellner posted a, a something about forgiveness oh vengeance is mine says the lord on facebook she posted something but it was a it was an article from desiring god but talking about this reality and what, why a Christian's able to forgive is powered by the reality that every wrongdoing one day will be accounted for. So coming with Jesus is this judgment. Um, Acts 17, let's look at these real quick. I think we've got enough time. I want to leave enough time for discussion at the end since this is it. But Acts 17, 30 through 31, this is Paul preaching that Mars Hill the Areopagus the, um, in Athens there. So, big book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 17, verses 30 through 31, or 30 and 31. Someone read it. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Is that, um, is that gray? I mean, is that, or is that kind of black and white? I mean, is that pretty clear language when you guys read it? What do you think of that? I mean, this is where you have to, as someone who's trying to be a Bible person, you gotta just say, the text says what it says. And that what it's saying is that the day is coming when Christ returns and that God has set a, a day for judgment. 
and is going to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. He's talking about Christ there because he says, of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him, this man, from the dead. So judgment is on its way. Matthew 25 is um, the Olivet Discourse, which is in all of three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, at some version. But um, you can, it's a long passage I've got down there. I don't have time. You can read it if you want to at some point, but this is just talking about the final judgment. When the Son of Man, verse 31, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. He's going to gather the nations before him and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Okay, so it's been decided. There's sheep, there's goats. Okay, because people can get into confusion later on because he's going to say what the sheep have done and what the goats have done. It isn't what has made them sheep or what has made them goats. It's just what they've done. The sheep have uh, fed Jesus, clothed Jesus, and visited Jesus while he's in prison and the goats haven't. You can kind of sort that out. But I mean, it's just... The idea is that at the end of all of this, the goats in verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So it's a doctrine, and I've got down here, <laughs> I've listed Matthew 24, 51, 25, 30, verses 41, 46, Mark 9, 43, and 48, Luke 16, 22 to 24, and Revelation 14, 9 through 11, which is particularly gruesome. Um, and tough to read, talking about the smoke of the torment goes up forever. So, hell is real. That movie didn't make a Christian publisher's desire. Hell is for real. And it's, and I really shouldn't even laugh about it because that, forgive me for my irreverence. It's, it's a serious and awful, terrifying doctrine. That should make us shudder. The reality of an offense against a holy, righteous God is eternal punishment and condemnation. The way that that's often talked about that I found helpful is um, if Eddie, I'm walking down the street carrying me out, Eddie comes along and punches me in the face. Well, that was, I didn't appreciate that. And I might press charges and whatever. And he might get some jail time and a little fine. If, um, who's, if Brent, I'll try harder next time. If Branstad's in town and Eddie walks up and punches Branstad in the face, not saying he'd ever do it. Jackson, settle down. Some people might like it. <laughs> some people might appreciate it, but you might get in some trouble, right? I mean, and, then, and it's going to elevate a little bit. If Obama comes to town, and uh, Eddie wants to go punch him, and I may not be able to get to him. But if he did, what happens to him then? And as makes a lot of people happy, <laughs> <laughs> makes a lot of people happy. Not everybody, but it is the president. And as as the office goes higher, the offense goes higher. And so, in the same way, uh, you, uh, sin against another person is grievous and is not good. But when you talk, start talking offenses against a holy perfect, righteous God, it merits the wrath of God. This is why the cross is no small thing. When we start talking about hell, this is the hell that we all deserve. This is the hell that we deserve to have Jesus come right in on the clouds and say to us, you, 
didn't love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, did not love your neighbor as yourself, you coveted, you were all, you know, all these condemnation. Our comfort, First John, let me not just crush you. We all are going to hell. I know. We can't attain them. That's right. That's, that's good. That's, that is, let's go to First John. <laughs> First John chapter 4, verse 16. So we have come to know, First John's clear at the back, right before Revelation. Clear at the back of your Bible. First John 4, actually First, Second, Third John, Jude, Revelation. First John 4. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God um, has for us. Uh, yeah, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Her fear has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So there's this, there is to be comfort in facing judgment. And that comfort is it in your own well-doing? Is it in your own righteous works? Is it in your own righteous deeds? No. It is in the righteous deeds of Christ. There is a book, right? So we look back at this Revelations passage, Revelation passage 22, and there is a book that is there. And it is the book of life. And if anyone's name is found written in the book of life, it goes well for them. So, it just, I don't know if I should pause. Let's, let's get going. First, uh, Revelation 21. This is the final consummation. So intermediate state. So the question, heaven is real, is not, it's kind of missing the question. How long is heaven forever? And the answer to that question is no. <laughs> See, is heaven forever? And I've already given it away, but is heaven forever? Up there. And who knows where it, it is? Like, uh, I mean, it it's like it it's some real place spots. we can't find. Yeah, right. it sounds like it goes to different spots. So right now it's somewhere else, and then it's eventually going to eventually going to come get us. Come to here, new heavens and the new earth. Heaven in the intermediate state is what I'm referring to. The heaven is not forever. What happens according to Scripture? Jesus returns. Judgment happens. The millennium is involved in there somewhere, which is uh, chapter 20, the beginning. We're not going to fight about that. <laughs> Revelation 21 happens. Uh, let's read verses uh, 1 through um, 8. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and the death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning 
and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of the burning sulfur. This is the second death. So, questions on the text there. This is the coming of a new heavens and a new earth. He says he makes all things new. I've heard it pointed out that he doesn't make all new things. Your question was, does he leave this a deserted Pluto? No, in some way, I think that there is... A, there is Randy Alcorn wrote a great book called Heaven. And um, it's, it's a thick book. But he's talking about what this new heaven, new earth might look like. And he's coming and he's making all things new. So all the things that you enjoy here and all the things that, uh, that are here will be made new, most likely, and we'll have a new heavens and a new earth. This dwelling place of God will be with men and there will be with him forever. Um, and so this is the final eschatological hope of the Christian. It's not The reason why I pointed out the heaven and the intermediate state is because... There is this belief that you go to heaven and you sit on a cloud and you play a harp and you're bored out of your mind for all of eternity. I, th I think about that like forever. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that sounds terrible, but I'm like, forever is a very long Yes, eternity is a time. scary thought. Like, and I'm a terrible person because I don't live in the moment. I live like I'm planning tomorrow. I'm like, I got to get this done because I want to be, I want to take it easy tomorrow. I'm that type of person. And so... Forever really just kind of... I know, How I'm many sorry. plans am I going to have to make? Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. Well, then I think about forever and hell, and then I'm like, oh, I didn't even thought about that. <laughs> well, there's... And so here's what... The reason... that's It's a misconceived idea, I think, from scripture, against Scripture, that it is just this um, amazing grace ends with this line that when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun... We've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. And it's this idea in this hymn that we're going to be singing hymns for eternity. And my voice is going to get... I mean, so I don't think that that's true. But that is... And I even hear from good Bible people that all the glimpses into the throne room of heaven are them singing holy, holy, holy um, uh, to God. And that's what we see in heaven. That's intermediate state. What seems to happen is that God comes back and makes all things new. So, and it's free from sin, and it's free from pain, and it's free from sorrow. The Randy Alcorn book is so great. It's a lot of speculation, but I think it's good biblical. He's not departing from the reality that many of the things you enjoy, you'll enjoy then, or here now, you'll enjoy then free from sin. We'll be free from sin. We'll be free from death. Um, People talk about and and will be and everything we do will glorify God. So it's like I mean we have football lovers here, right? People like football. What if I told you we might really play football in heaven? I might be decent. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. No, actually, I don't think that's true. And I and I think there'll be winners and losers. But but that but everything will be. It, it'll be like that time when you're watching football 
and you see this guy do this amazing move, and you think, I can't, like, uh, what was the game? Um, I don't know, some dude was just a wide receiver. I don't know what it was. He was, I came this a couple of nights ago. But, I mean, he, he landed out of bounds, but the ball was way reset, but he jumped and stretched out, and one hand caught the ball, secured it, and landed out of bounds. It was just like, I mean, I can't, I can touch the net, like, on a good day. And this dude's like, I mean, flying through the air, catching the ball. And there's a party that's just, like, amazed that what God has made can do this. And there's a sense that we will, in this new heavens and new earth, be free from sin. We will worship God in everything that we do. But that doesn't mean it's just singing songs to God the rest of our days. There will be fellowship. One of the pictures is of, of the wedding supper of the Lamb. We have here that what happens when we all get together is there's a big party. And we all sit down and eat the marriage supper of the Lamb is verse 19. Jesus says um, to his disciples that I'm gonna, he has uh, the last supper with him. He says, I won't drink this with you again, wine, until I come again. And so Jesus has got wine stored up somewhere for a party when we all gather together. And it'll be free from sin. So it won't be drunken, debaucherous, whatever. It'll be, I don't even like wine right now, but maybe then it'll be really good wine or something. I don't know. But that, I, I'm just trying, there is, there is to be this real joy and expectation and longing for this coming day where I'm, really, I'm free from sin. I'm free from suffering. I'm, when it has this verse in here, it's kind of weird, the sea is no more. They, they, most people think that's a Palestinian kind of way of saying that the sea, the Mediterranean was where marauders came in. It was where death happened. It was dangerous. That kind of thing is gone. So it isn't that there's no beachfront. I think there will be beachfront. But there, cause there's places of the river of life and stuff like that. We all want to be uh, on the beach. But So this is the final eschatological picture. So, um, so what's your take on as far as like you know, an infant that dies at birth and the hundred-year-old grandma that dies at birth, like you're rid of the pain and suffering of your body at a hundred years old. So like an infant that dies at birth in heaven, do they experience full-on aging like we do? So if you die today, are you going to stay just like that yeah. forever? Yeah. Or and they also there? don't have the mentality to accept. Right. Like that type right. of life. I'll tell you everything the Bible says about it. Okay. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> open-ended question, right? Or, it's it's open-ended, dog. Sure. I mean, there's, uh, well, the 100-year-old lady, some people speculate that when they say that now we, we don't see Jesus, but then we'll see him face-to-face, or we'll be transformed to be like him. I think that's in Corinthians or something, that we will know him, we will know him as even as we are known. We'll be like him and so there are some people that say that since Jesus died at age 33, we will all go to the peak of our existence, which is when we were 33, which I guess, but anyway, so there are some people that say something like that, but I mean, no one really knows. Um, do the children work through and, and get to experience? I don't, I don't, to, to grow, I mean, there's, there's time that kind of exists. I don't, you know, we don't know. We don't know. Your question's tougher. I suppose, I'm thinking about it, I suppose it's kind of like how the man and wife 
birth of that last week? Mm-hmm. Would it be kind of like that, whereas your mother... There's a there's some thought in that, and in some traditions certainly have that if a child is born into a Christian home, mm-hmm. that that's doing... that that's better chances. No one can say definitively yeah. this is what happens. Um, I think it seems inconsistent with a God who is gracious and merciful to take those who have no time to come to a conscious understanding of their own sinfulness and of a Redeemer mm-hmm. to hold them accountable. Though though they are born with um, a sin nature, it doesn't seem consistent with a God of grace and mercy to do that. A hundred-year-old grandma... That's consistent with the God of grace and mercy to say that uh, the, that um, if she's rejected Christ, yes, it's right. But I mean, we just don't. Wise, like, oh well, yeah. Did she stay a hundred and crippled for? The yeah, you know, like <laughs> yeah, did she get a walker? <laughs> 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 They're walkers in heaven. Do you feel like we physically come back? Physically, like we are now. Not exactly. No, we'll be free from sin. So your aches, your pains. Sure, but we don't, I mean, Jesus, after, the only way we really think about this is in Jesus in his post-resurrection state. They held him. They touched him. He ate fish. He's really there. Kind of walked through walls, which is kind of weird. But but um, he was really there. So, yes, there is, and if you want to do interesting reading on it, it's 1 Corinthians 15. Is is really trippy reading. Right, and that's what I always thought too. It's okay. So this is this is a new concept. So, is my am I is my brain ever gonna be able to wrap around? Like, have you gotten to a place with your biblical studying that you can you can wrap your head around what that's like? You can feel it in you. You can understand what it's like to come back. Is that a growing thing that we're gonna strive for the rest of our lives to try to wonder what it's gonna be like to come back? I mean, nobody knows. Mm-hmm. But do you feel like you have? really good grasp now. Of anything? Well, yeah. <laughs> so. Like, this it seems like a concept I right now that I'll never grasp. I'll never be able, to, mm-hmm. be able to understand how we can die and come back. Like, how we can do that. And sometimes I just say, I'm just going to believe it and I don't have any, like... Right. I just, I'm just going to accept that that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Or should you strive to try to have a better... Really I th- I think you know I think you should strive to I mean there's there's the admonitions in multiple places in Scripture to long for His coming and I think that that does mean it's a longing for your Redeemer to come it's a longing for your own personal redemption to come that my own freedom from sin I mean I think we don't understand that how and and this is kind of where I try to to grow in my growth is what's it going to be like to never to not have any inclination towards sin to be totally free. But to, to also to be able to do every activity um, to, the, to the worship of Christ. So when I was thinking about this week, I thought, like, for Eddie, there's a good chance the dude who loves seed corn will have pretty awesome seed corn in heaven. I mean, and, seri- and, and, so, and, and it, will be, it will grow like the Garden of Eden. It'll be wonderful. And he will love it more than he does now even. And he'll look at these... I don't even know. Look at this ear of corn. <laughs> you know, that they'll, they'll just be this joy in what he's doing. You know, I mean, and, and there's, yeah, and it'll be a real ear of corn. It'll be a real body. It'll be, but it'll be a made new. 
I don't know if it'll talk. <laughs> that sounds like Narnia. <laughs> um, but so verse chapter 15 of, of 1 Corinthians, this is one that like when I listen, sometimes I listen to my Bible when I walk around and this is a passage where I got to kind of like cover up my mic because it sounds like you're reading science fiction or something because it's just so rad. I mean, it's just how are the dead raised and what kind of body do they come? And you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies and what is sown... What you sow in the body is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each its own seed of its own kind. So there is this way that we don't come back just like we are, but a resemblance. He's saying like a seed, you put a seed, it doesn't, it comes from this thing. And because it bears resemblance, when it comes back to life, it bears resemblance to what it once was. And so there is this resurrection. What is sown, this is verse 42, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. We will not wear out. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown as weak in weakness. It is raised in power. It's sown in a natural body. It's raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But um, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So there is some of the language of what we end up looking like. So I, I don't know. I haven't really answered your questions very well, but I mean, yeah, it's it's mind blowing. The Randy Alcorn book really helped me a ton in just thinking about what this is going to be like. I mean, like staying at the Grand Canyon and just marveling at the beauty of and that's that's to be worship of God, and those are the sorts of things. You know, I don't want to speculate, but anyway. How old was Adam? How old were Adam and Eve when, what age did, were they when they were created? Sorry, if that's well, we don't know. We I don't mean, know. Yeah, I mean, that's, and, and that's an interesting question. What age were they? Yeah, we'll get into that. I'm just curious. Yeah, and, and will that have anything to do with it? Were they in their 30s? I mean, they were obviously able to, Adam named all the animals. Mm -hmm. um, they as, fell into sin and they procreated, so they obviously were, you know, <laughs> nowadays 12 but yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah so they have some age to them yeah when in their creation we don't really know for sure um oh gosh sorry guys six months late on it so i mean and tons of questions on this i i what i wanted to plan in your heart was this desire for i mean Christianity becomes so nebulous and so abstract and it becomes all about, we believe in this mythical figure, Jesus, and someday we go and, and it's, we go to some spiritual whatever. And, and I, I just, in my own life, it was a big deal to start putting some tangible things, Jesus real. And, you know, and all of these, the, looking at the Bible, this is really God's communication to us. And the future, it doesn't just become some disembodied state, but it becomes something real and so that's the meta narrative in six weeks that was flying through we could have covered and should have covered and whatever a bunch more so um that's where we are i really i mean i really appreciate you guys all coming out for this thing i've had so much fun with it i mean truly I, this has been great. Um, better than I, I, I mean, I didn't expect, I didn't have no idea what to expect. So I'm very grateful. Um, I'm glad we didn't let you down. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen. You, on the other hand. 
Well, I said I'm very, I'm very I'm, I'm going to put on my calendar potentially another like five week thing in the middle of November, starting through the middle of December, but way before Christmas, just five weeks working on another book of the Bible or something like that, trying to dig a little deeper in a certain text or whatever. I haven't landed on anything, but that's kind of my thoughts that are out there. Um, like I said, I really don't know where anything's going with anything. Um, but um, I've really enjoyed this opportunity to sit down with you guys and, you know, trying to press the hope that we have in the gospel, what the gospel is, what it means for us, what it brings to us. So I hope you've enjoyed it. If you think of any more questions, feel free to Facebook me or crowd me or ask anything. Well, I mean, it's, and it's, the, the gospel is, it is, it is also a thing that you, when you talk about the cross chart, you grow in your understanding of it, certainly. And so that's a good thing to, to really understand what it is that Jesus did for me. What am I looking forward to? Where's my hope at? You know, that's, that's good. That's what we should be doing. I mean, when, uh, when you read verses, I, there's one verse I'm like, oh, okay, all right, thank God. And then the next verse is like, oh, God. And that's absolutely, I mean, yes, I think that one of the, one of the things we could have gone into is universalism and stuff like that, that's just nothing but, hey, it's okay, don't worry about it. And that just ends up, I lose, I just get tired of that bubblegum mm-hmm. baloney, that the Bible is much harsher yeah. than that. The reality is this has got some really hard things in it, and we need to heed and them. And I don't know that it's, well, and I haven't went to a ton of different churches, but I feel like preachers a lot of times focus on, like, the love and the, and mm-hmm. don't preach on the hardcore of mm-hmm. hell. I mean, like right. that. Which is, a, which, in, which is ironic because it's very unloving. <laughs> to to ignore the hard edges yes, of reality yes. is to not love people well. So the reason why I try to scare you all with reality of hell is actually because I love you. But that's the, that's, the, that's the reality is that these are the hard edges we got to hear. So, 740, let's pray. God, I'm, I am grateful just for this opportunity to be here. I thank you for each individual that is here. My, my desire is just like what Tess was saying, God, that I would see myself more clearly, that I would despair of my own efforts and despair of my own ingenuity, my own creativity, my own best efforts, and that I would throw myself at the feet of the Savior, the one who lived and died for me, who has accomplished my rescue totally apart from myself by grace and by mercy. And I pray, God, that in my own heart, in the hearts and the minds of those who are here tonight, God, that those things would just dig into us, God, our hopeless state left to ourselves, our need to turn from our sin, and then our our joy and our hope and our encouragement, satisfaction in who Jesus Christ is for us, his perfect life lived for us, his death died in our place, taking the wrath, the hell that we deserve on himself so that we could, when the day of judgment comes, go and not brag about who we are or brag about what we've done, but we can just go and say, if it's Jesus, I, I have no right to get to dwell with you forever, God, but your son gave his life for me. Your son took my wrath upon himself 
and Jesus himself will be there that day. God, I rejoice that my Savior will be that, that there that day saying, this one is mine who I bled and died for and will get to enter into your joy like that parable says in the Gospels. God, just be with us. I don't, wherever this future goes, I don't know, but I'm grateful for this past six weeks. Pray that it would be seed sown into our lives, God, that would produce fruit and draw us near to you. Pray these things in Jesus' name.